Okay, we're going to start here on Kuf Daladam and Alpha, the two dots. Mar says, I'm really Rabbanon, the Rabshua bin Levi. Rabbanon reported to Rabshua bin Levi, Atutu Dardike Ha'idin Lebei Midrusho. The young ones question about whether these are children. Tosafot brings here an opinion that possibly that these were some younger whippersnappers, Talmidei Chachamim, who would become in the future big Talmidei Chachamim. They came for Amru Milei. They said over something, Da'afilu Bimei Yoshua Binun Lo Itmar Kavatayu. Something that hasn't been said since the time of Yoshua Binun. The reason they pick Yoshua Binun is a story in the Gemara that after Moshe passed away that they forgot numerous halachot and then they had to learn them back or they had to try to recall those halachot that Nebuchadnezzar is a central figure in bringing back those halachot. So Yoshua bin Nun was time that they had this type of issue. So over here these children raised something or said over a drusha that they felt was so good that it could have been one of those things that was forgotten at the time of Yoshua bin Nun. That is Aleph Bet Aleph Bina. What they're going to do now is move through the Aleph Bet through the Hebrew alphabet, and they're going to be Doresh, all the letters in the Hebrew alphabet. They're going to do it in different patterns, different ways, and this is the point that they got excited about, which is Aleph Bet, Aleph Bina, learn Torah. So Aleph means to to learn, Bina is the highest quote-unquote form of wisdom, in the sense that Bina means person who's lomeh davar mitoch davar, person who can extrapolate, someone who can extend their knowledge beyond the direct wisdom that they've acquired. They're able to apply it to other areas and then utilize it. So that's Aleph Bina, Lomot Torah. Gimel, Dalit, is Gmo Dalim. Gimilat Chasadim, towards those that are less fortunate. My time, Shuta Karei de Gimel, Pekabe Dalit. Why is the foot of the Gimel sticking out towards the Dalit? Shekein Darko Shel Gomel Chasadim, Arutz Achar Dalim. Because that's the way of those that do Chesed, to run after the less fortunate in order to perform their acts of Chesed. So here we're talking about Gmilut Chasadim, which is a higher level of Tzedakah than Tzedakah. Tzedakah involves money, monetary assistance to the individual. Gmilut Chasadim can even include helping them physically, doing things that make life easier for them. It doesn't always involve monetary assistance. And we have stories in the Gemara of certain Amoraim who excelled at Gemilut Chasadim or Tzedakah and they used to run after those that were collecting Tzedakah in order to ensure that they gave them the money or they got what they needed. Some of them even that the Gabait Tzedakah used to run away from them because they knew if they bumped into them that they would give them all their money because they wanted to perform Gemilut Chasadim. And why is the Dalit's foot sticking out towards the Gimel? In the Dalit, there's a Drop down, comes down on the right side, not on the left side. It comes down on the side towards the gimel. The Dao should make himself available so that the Balabai doesn't have to chase after him in order to perform Gimlut Chasidim. Why is the open face of the Dalit away from the gimel? Because we know the ultimate form of Staka Gimlut Chasidim is to do it in private, not to do it publicly, not for either party to know who is the beneficiary and who is the giver. That's where the Dalit is closed towards the gimel. So that he should not be embarrassed. This is the name of of God, we say this in Hoshano and Sukkot, and we say Ani Vahu Hoshiana, Ani Vahu Hoshiana. It's one of the names of Hashem. Zayin Chet Tet Yud Taf Lamed. Vim Atah Osekein. 
if this is your behavior, if this is the path in life that you choose, Kaddish Baruch Hu Zanotcha, so that would be for the Zion, Hashem will sustain you, provide you Panosah, Bechenotcha, He will give you Chain, He will be gracious towards you, Umetivlecha, He'll be good towards you, so the Metiv will be the Tet, Notenlecha Yerusha, which will be the Yud, Bekoshelecha Keter, the Olam Haba, and He'll make you a crown for Olam Haba. Mem Tuka, Mem Stuma, which is Mem and Mem Sofit. Mamar Patuach, Mamar Satum. Rashi over here says that Yesh Dvarim Shnatan Rishut Dorsham. There are certain things that you are permitted to be Doresh in public, and some things that you are asked to withhold, not to Darshan in public. See that later on in the Gemara Chagiga, that do things like the Maiser Markava that are beyond our understanding that you're not supposed to be Doresh. In public, things that you're not supposed to teach. Nun kfufa, nun pshuta, which is a nun and a nun sofit. Neeman kafuf, neeman pashut. Those that are close followers of Hashem are bent over, and then they'll be stretched out. So kafuf means that in an Adam Kasher, in his lifetime, he needs to be kafuf, bent over, means means need to be an anav, has to be someone who is humble, has humility. And if that's the case, then in the end, he will be neeman pashut, he'll be extended, Stretched out upright in Olam Haba. Samachayim, smoch anim. Take care, support those that are poor. Lishnachrina, another possibility what Samachayim is. Simanim asebi Torah. Ukneota. Make for yourself signs in Torah in order to acquire it. Rashi notes over here that these are the signs that sometimes you see in the Gemara. Those acronyms that you see before we start a sugya that lists out all the words or all the cases that are mentioned in the sugya, it's a way to acquire the Torah Shabbat to have in your mind ways, little acronyms or markings that help you remember what you have learned. Pe fufa pe pshuta, if a pe and a pe sufit, pe patuach pe satum. Sometimes you have to open your mouth, sometimes you have to close your mouth. So as the Proverbs before, which was Mamar Patuach and Mamar Satum, where it's the information that you're conveying, which has to be either conveyed or not conveyed. Over here, it's whether you should be the conveyor of the information or not be the conveyor of the information. Rashi quotes the Gemara that we saw in Brachot, which is that sometimes when there's no one to teach, then you should go out and teach. When there are no teachers in the generation, when the, all the teachers of the generation are not willing to go out and teach, then you should go out and do it. Pesatum, when there are people that are greater than you teaching, then it's time to be quiet. You can listen, you can learn. You should not be teaching in the face of those that are greater than you. Tzadik fufa, but tzadik pshuta. And tzadik, and then tzadik sufit. Tzadik kafuf, tzadik pashut. So the Gemara says again, similar to what they said back by Nehman, by the Nun, which is that someone who is bent over, humble, has humility in this world, so the Gemara asks, I know Neman Kafuf Neman Pashut. This is identical to what you said before about the Nun. And here the Torah added for you an additional Kfifa. That you have to be doubly humble and you have to be extra Kafuf. And we know that the Mishnah Nabot says, Have Ma'od Ma'od Shafel Ruach. That person be very, very humble or with humility. We know that even the Rambam who suggests that the best way in life is what we call the Shvila Zahav, that is to pick the middle road with regards to everything, including Midot, everything in life, one should pick the middle road, not to go to extremes on either side. There's only one area where he says that's not true, and that's in the area of humility, humbleness versus Gava. He says that any ounce of Gava is not good, and therefore one should always structure themselves or make their lives to move towards the humility or humbleness side, 
rather than the side of Gaaba. Doesn't mean not to have self-confidence, but it means that one should try as much as possible to move away from that midov gaiva. And that's why over here we have the double kfifa with regards to humility and humbleness. From this, you see that the Torah was given by Menud Rosh. Menud Rosh, as Rashi says, is Beretet Vanavayitera. It was given with a tremendous amount of fear and homeless and humility. But Israel stood at Har Sinai. They were scared. They were in tremendous amount of fear, trembling. So they realized where the Torah was coming from. They realized what their position in life was and their relationship between them and a Kodesh Baruch Hu. That's what the Torah describes after Mamar Sinai and Pasha that Hashem says that the fear that you had today is good. And Moshe conveys to Israel, this is a good fear that you should remember for the rest of your lives how to have proper fear of Hashem and how to relate to Hashem. That fear is a good fear to have. And we know also that was mentioned in the Gemara Brachot that just like the Torah was received at Sinai, Beretet Ubi'ira, that they received the Torah with trembling and fear, so too a Talmud who sits before his Rebbe has to sit there trembling and in fear, he has to receive the Torah now like they received it at Har Sinai. Teaching of Torah, the learning of Torah is similar to the conveying of Torah that happened at Har Sinai between Hashem and the people. That's the way one should learn at the Torah that they learn today when it's being conveyed, that they should also have that sense of fear and trembling. And the Gemara also relays that because of that, they stood up when they learned Torah, that they did not sit when they learned Torah. Until there was a Yeridat or Yeridat Chushal Adorot, people became weaker and they could not stand up for the time and learn Torah. Therefore, we today we do sit to learn Torah. But the original state of affairs was that people stood up and they were mekabel the Torah, beretet to be similar to the experience at Har Sinai. Kuf, Kadosh, Resh, Rasha. Kuf is Kadosh, meaning a Kadosh Baruchu, and Resh represents Rasha. My time Mahader apay the Kuf mi Resh. Why is the face of the Kuf turned away from the Resh? As Rashi says, that's a lashon Nikiyah, because it's really the Resh. That's turning away from the kuf. The Reish has the open face away from the kuf. And that's because Amar Kajbarachu Can't take a look at the Rasha. It's so offensive, it's so problematic towards the Rasha that I don't even want to look at him. Now, if you continue with the thesis of the Gemara that this is a Lashon Sagi Nahor, it could mean that the Rasha himself says that about Hashem as well. That the Rasha says, I don't want to know about Hashem, I don't want to see Hashem. My time, Mahader Tage the Kuf. The Gabe Resh. Why is it that the top of the Kuf faces towards the Resh? The way that the Kuf is written, the top part of the Kuf, when it comes over, it looks like a Resh. On the left side of that point, there's a, it comes to a point. It comes up to be a point, and that's like a Keter, like a crown. So as Gemara wants to know, why is, is that crown of the Kuf facing towards the Resh? Because Amar Kodesh Baruch Hu Michozer Bo, the Rasha does Tshuva, Ani Kosher Lo Keter Kamoti. I'll put a crown on him, like me. mean that I will... Bring him up to par with me. Things will be okay. My time of the Kari the Kuf Tluya. Why is it that the base of the Kuf is not attached to the Kuf itself? Why is there a gapping between the leg of the Kuf? The Ihadar Le'ayo. If he does Tshuva, he will come back. The Gemara says, Why do you need two openings? If the Kuf had the leg attached on the right side, then he could have entered from the left top side. The fact that now it's separated both from the top on the left and then the bottom on the right is unnecessary. There would still be an opening even if it was attached on the bottom right. So when it says, why don't you just go through the other entrance? Why do you need the entrance on the bottom right? It says, 
This supports what we have seen from Reish Lakish, the Amar Reish Lakish. My dichtiv, what is meant by the Pasuk, im leleitzim hu yalitz, ulanavim yitainchein, those that are foolish, that waste their time, then hu yalitz. Hashem will enable them to continue down that path. Ulanavim, and those that are humble, of humility, yitainchein, he'll grant them graciousness. So now the Gemara says, bali tamei potchim lo, bali taher, the simple way to read this is that a person who chooses a path of Tumah, a person who chooses a path of the Leitzim, Shem will open the door and let them go down the path they choose. Badi Teher, a person who comes to do Tshuva, comes to approach Hashem, Misayinoto, then Hashem helps him. So Hashem basically lets you walk the path that you want to walk. If you choose the path to walk, which is the path of Tumah, then he opens the door and lets you go. If it's the path of Tara, if it's the path of Shuva and coming back to Hashem, not only does he open the door, but he actually helps you. The way Tosafot reads it is very interesting. Tosafot suggests over here that eat the garse. Some people have the girsa, balitamei potchimlo, which is what our girsa is. Klomar, yeshlo ptachim likanes balitaher. Misayinoto, she potchimlo petach likanes. Vainu dumya dileo, the shavakle petach likanes. Lahanu, the garse. Those that have the girsa of balitamei potchimlo. Tariklomar, de misayinoto avitfemi potchim. That misayeya is more than poteach. Tosafot seems to indicate over here that the balitamei, there is a petach that's open. And Balit Teher, that's Misayinoto. Even someone who is going to be Tamei, Hashem still opens up the door to allow them to do Tshuva. But that's all He does. He opens up the door to allow them to do Tshuva. Whereas Balit Teher, Misayinoto, He helps them. So Tosafot seems to indicate that both of them are dealing with the option to do Tshuva. The Potrim Lo is not like I suggested, which is it opens it up and lets him go down the path that he chose. Rather, Potrim Lo, God opens the door and allows him to still return and do Tshuva. Shem doesn't close the door on doing tshuva. He leaves the door open for him to do tshuva. But Tabali Taher, if he chooses the path or the option to, to come to do tshuva, then Misayinoto, then they help him. Shin stands for Sheker. Taf stands for Emet. Gemara says that's the end of the alphabet. And the Gemara asks now a question. My taima, Sheker Mekarvin Milei. Why is it when it comes to the word Sheker, the letters that are chosen to make up the word Sheker are consecutive letters in the alphabet? It's Kuf, Resh, and Shin. That spell Sheker. Emet, on the other hand, Merchaka Mile. The letters that construct Emet are the first letter of the alphabet, the last letter of the alphabet, and the middle letter of the alphabet. They're stretched across the entire alphabet. Marzez, because Shikra Shriach, lying and Sheker are commonly found. Kushta, Lo Shriach. Those that tell the truth and that are always truthful, Lo Shriach. That is uncommon. That is not something that we find all the time. Umay, Taima Shikra Chadakarekai. Why are all the letters that construct the word Sheker standing on one foot. All of them come to a point. That is shin. The way the shin's written, if you look on your tefillin, you can see this. It comes down to a single point. Kuf obviously has the leg that sticks down, and the resh stands on one leg. The emet, on the other hand, the word emet, blabin lubune, basically stands on two feet. All the letters have a full base that sits on the ground. The aleph and the tof have a right and left leg, and the mem has a flat base. So why is that? Because kushta tari, shikra lokai, kushta truth. Lasts. It has staying power. Shikra lokai. It evaporates. It's something that doesn't have staying power. A lie will always, in the end, be exposed and will not have staying power. Just so you know, when we say the brich shmei in davening, when they take out the sefer Torah, the word pushta comes up numerous times in there. That's what they're talking about. It's the truth. The true God, the true Navi, the true... But the word pushta is used there. Atbash. Now the Gemara goes to Darshin, a alphabet, but in a methodology that takes the first letter of the alphabet, matching with the last letter of the alphabet. 
So Aleph matches up with Tuf. Bet matches up with Shin. Gimel with Resh. Advash. Oti Taev. And this is speaking about, we're going to see in a second, the Gemara is say, it's talking about a Rasha. He was disgusted with me at Avelo. I should desire him. That's the, Aleph stands for Oti Taev. He pushed me away. Tuf is at Avelo, that I should have desire for him. Bet Shin is Bilo Chashat. In me, he did not desire or come close to. Shmi Yachololav. My name should rest upon him. Gar Gimoresh Kufotime. He defiled his body. Arachimalav. I should have mercy on him. Dakas Dalit Kuf. Daltotina Al. He closed my door. Parnavlo Agadea. I shouldn't cut off his horns. Ankan Midat Rishaim. Those first four letters of the alphabet in the Atbash Gardak, those are all referencing the Rishaim. Aval Midat Sadikim. When it comes to the ways that Sadikim. Atbash. This is the way to darshan it. Imatabosh. If you are embarrassed when you do something wrong, if you take responsibility when you do something wrong and you're ashamed of what you've done, gardak. gur bedok. You will live bedok in the shamayim, up in the heavens, and hats vaf. You will have a screen, a separation between you and anger. And you will be protected. And you will not tremble or be fearful of the Satan. Yud Mem Taflamid, that's the final leg of the Adbash. Amar Sarshal Geinom Lifnei Kodesh Baruch Hu, Ribono Shalolam, the Yam Kol. The Satan or the Sarshal Geinom says to a Kodesh Baruch Hu, everybody comes to the ocean in the end, meaning Geinom. Amar Kodesh Baruch Hu, so a Kodesh Baruch Hu responds to him, Achas Patagif. This is another sequencing of the alphabet using seven as the differential between them. Aleph being one, then seven letters after that is Chet, plus seven is Chet, plus seven is Samach. The same thing with Bet. Bet plus seven is Tet, plus seven is Ayin, and then Gimel Yud Pei. It's another sequencing of the alphabet. Ani Chas Alehem. I have mercy on them because Beato Begif. They kicked away the Gif. Gif, as Rashi says, is Ni'uf. That they stayed away from adultery, from illicit relations. Because of that, I have mercy on them. Dakats, the kimheim, kinimheim. Kim means they are pure, they are teorim. Kinimheim is that they are truthful, speaking the truth. We have that by the brothers of Yosef. Kinim, tzadikimheim, and they are tzadikim. Hey, lamed kuf, ein lacha chilek behen. You have no right to them. Umarzan shat, amar geinom lifnei kodesh baruchu ribono shalom. Marei zanini mizaro shel sheit. Says, do me a favor, give me some food to eat from zaro shel sheit, from the descendants of sheit, which are both the Jews and the non-Jews that are descendants of sheit, which is everybody in the world, because we know that Hevel was killed. Cain eventually dies. And his offspring is cut off. The only people that were left were the descendants of Sheit. So that means everybody in the world. Feed me, basically saying. He says, back to Marmalay, Al-Bam-Gandas. Again, this is a plus 11 sequence. Aleph. And then 11 letters later is the Lamed. Then Bet. 11 letters later is the Mem. Gimel Nun. Dalit Samach. Eichan. Odichan. Where am I taking them to? The Ganadas. To the Garden of Myrtle, which means to the Ganadan. Hey, Ayin, Vavfei. Amar Geinom, Lifnei Kodesh Baruch Hu, Shalam. I'm tired. I need something to eat. I'm hungry. Please feed me. So, Zatzchak, Zayin Sadi, Chet, Kuf, Lalu, Zaro, Shal, These are the descendants of Yitzchak, and therefore they're protected. 
And then you have Tar Yeshkat, which is Tet Resh, Yud Shin, and Chavtaf. Tar, he says, be patient. Yeshli Kitot Kitot Shalovdeko Chavim Shenetin I have plenty of idol worshippers which I will send your way. So don't look for the Zarosh Yitzchak, don't look for Bnei Yisrael to be coming your way. I have others to send your way. Those were the Rishot on the letters that were done by the Dardake, those young ones who try to give some meaning and sense to the letters of the Alephbet. Rashi's mentions over here that Bukhulan Sturot B'Sefer Yitzira. was a book that was well known to the Shonim called the Sefer Yitzira, which was supposedly the way that the world was created by being Mitztaref, bringing together the different letters of the Alephbet in different combinations. And that was supposedly the way that the world was built or created or put together. So this Sefer Yitzirah has all these different meanings that are given to the different letters of the alphabet in different combinations, like what we just saw here, the Atbash or the Achas Batagi. Those different combinations allow one to maneuver, manipulate the letters to create different things in the Sefer Yitzirah. Rashi sees this as just an extension of that type of drashar, that type of placement of the letters together to try to come up with combinations that have meaning or drashot associated with them. So next Mishnah, Akotev Shteyotiot Velem Echad. I have someone who writes two letters in one forgetting. Chayav, katav, bidyo, bisam, bisigra, bakumus, ubakan katum. These are all different types of inks, which the Gemara will ask about each one of them what they are. Bechol davar or anything that makes a mark, then that is considered to be writing. Al shnei kotlei zaviot. If you write two letters on two walls, but they're written in the corner at the junction of the two walls. Al shnei lebachei pintas. They're written on two pages of the ledger, but behenegim zeim zed. They are able to be read together. So you write them on two pages, but they're right at the binding. So therefore you could read the letter on the right side and then the left side together in one shot. Same thing when you write the letters in the corner. Even though they're on two walls, they can be read consecutively because they're next to each other. And therefore you would be chayav, because that is that you can read it in succession. Someone who writes on his flesh, chayav. It's also considered to be writing. Someone who writes on their flesh by cutting or by marking, not using a writing utensil, but simply using cutting to do it. Rabbi Lezer mechayev chatat. Rabbi says that's a form of writing, and you're chayev chatat. Chumim putrim, chumim say that's not a normal way to write, and therefore it's not considered tiva mina Torah. Katav, this is what we discussed yesterday, bimashkim. He does it with some sort of liquids. Rashi claims that it's like some sort of strawberry or berry juice that is black. We made perot with fruit juices, vavak drachim, with the dust of the wayfarers. Now we're here, avak drachim actually gives two interpretations, either tit, that's the dirt, the mud, the plaster that's stuck on the shoes of those that walk, that's one possibility. Avak drachim means literally the dust on the earth, that you go and you write on dirt that's below, you use your finger and you write words in there. Vavaka sofrim, or with the dust of the sofer. Now this has to do with when they used to write with the ink wells, the ink used to dry up and become solid, you used to add water to it in order to make it liquid again. When it comes solid, or when they utilize it, it has dust, that's sort of the black dust that comes off of it. So if you write, either write with that black dust with your finger, or you write in the black dust that way. Anything that does not have permanence, patur. So this is what I discussed yesterday, what the meaning of permanence means. But like according to Rashi, permanence means something that has duration, long duration. According to the Ritva and others, that it means simply that it doesn't last for the whole Shabbat. It's not something that, it could be gone before the 24-hour period is gone. So in all those cases, he's patur. Patur means that it has no chiyub de oraita, but there still is an isur de rabbanan, 
and all of these things. And that is the Rabbanan, that's what we talked about yesterday, can be waived when there's a specific need or a special need, or we have dispensations to violate Yisrael the Rabbanan, but not Yisrael the Oraita. He does it on the back of his hand, meaning that he turns his hand over, holds the pen, and writes with his palm facing up, and the pen facing down. Or Biraglo, he writes with his foot. Befif, if he writes with his mouth. Obemar Peko, here Rashi again interprets Mar Peko to be Atzile Yadav, which according to Rashi means his underarm, he puts the pen in his underarm. Tosafot, we saw earlier in Masech that we discussed this before, it says that Mar Peko is his elbow, the joint of his elbow, so he holds it over there. Katav Otachat Samuch Tav. He writes an additional letter, there's already writing there, and he just adds an additional letter. Or, Katav Al Tav. There exists writing there, and he traces over it. He goes over that Ktav. He intended to write a Chet, the Ktav Bet Zayin. And instead he wrote two Zayins. This is an important factor here, because when it comes to the Dinim of writing a Sefer Torah and forming the letters, right, so very good. It's actually a Machloket, how to construct a Chet. Chet is made up of two letters. The question is, which two letters it's made up of. The proof that it should be made up of two Zayins is from this Gemara over here, which makes it sound like that a Chet is really a combination. That if you made a mistake and simply skipped the roof of the Chet, you would end up with two Zayins. Therefore, what it should be is a Zayin, a Zion, and then a roof that connects the two Zions together. The other possibility is that it's making way up of a Vav and a Zion, and then you connect the Vav and the Zion together to create the Chet. So one of the differences usually between a Svardi and Ashkenazi Sefer Torah is how the Chet is constructed. Is it constructed of two Zions, or is it constructed of a Vav and a Zion? That's one thing. The other thing is how the roof of the Chet is made, which is that you can either have the roof of the Chet be flat across, which com- combines the two letters, or you can have it be a triangle, binds the two letters, that it's up-down, that connects those two letters together. It's also a machloket about how the Chet connects. Either way, you can end up with a Chet, if you intended to write a Chet, and whatever, it skips over the roof, the pen jumps or skips, then you can end up with two letters. He had intended to write one letter, and he ended up with two letters. Chad Baritz, Vachad He wrote on the wall, but he wrote one letter up top, and one letter down below on the wall. He wrote on the two walls of the house. Instead of writing in the corner, he wrote it on distant parts of these two walls. Or He writes it on the two pages of the ledger, either on a different page, or he writes it on the right margin and the left margin of the two pages so that they're not necessarily read together. In this case, they're not read together. In all these cases, it's patur aval asur. Katav otachat no trikun. If he writes a single letter that represents something greater than it, as Rashi writes, Shasasiman nikudalea. He made that small, in Hebrew they call it the chick, in English they call it the apostrophe on top. That means that indicates that this letter has more meaning than the simple letter itself. Meshub is mechayev. He says, Yechayev in that instance, Chamimar poter. Patur avalasur. Alright, so now, the Gemara wants to know about these inks. So it says, what is Dio? So the Gemara, Mishnah, we know, is written in Hebrew. The Gemara is written in Aramaic. What the Gemara is going to do now is translate all the words that they see in Hebrew in the Mishnah into Aramaic so that it makes sense to them. That doesn't necessarily help us so much, but for them it makes it easier to understand what the Mishnah was speaking about, which is Dio is Diuta. So the Dio, which is really the ink that's mentioned in the Mishnah, is Diuta. That's the way we say it in the Aramaic form. Sam, which is, as Rashi calls it, Orpiment. So that in the Aramaic is Sama. Sikra, which is usually a red type of striper dye. Amra is Sikrata Shema. In Aramaic it's called Sikrata. And again, Rashi says it's Emenia Tseva Dom Shetovim Trisim. It's a red coloring that they use to, I don't know if Rashi when he referring to Trisim here means 
shields, or is he referring to Trisim like shades, that they painted them red with this dye. And then we have the kumus, is kuma, which Rashi says is Rafailan, which is sap. Kankatum, is kankatum generally is a copper-based liquid or ink. That's what it usually means. And Amar Rebbechan, Amar that is the charata dushkape. That is the black that's used by the shoemakers. It's shoe polish. The black shoe polish used by the shoemakers to blacken the shoes. That's what this kankantum is. Over all the varshu roshim. And it says, beyond the inks, anything that makes a marking that is similar to ink. Latuye mai, where does that come to include? Latuye hai detani rabbi chananya. So this comes to include what rabbi chananya says. Katvo. Where he's saying when you read a get. If you wrote a get bit, meitariya. Rashi says that this meitariya is yeshomim min pri. It's a type of of fruit, that it is water. So if you write, say, with meitaria, ba'afza, afza is golnat, kasher, then it's fine. Tani rabichia, rabichia add an addition to that, kadvo ba'avak, he used dust to write it. Now Rashi does not have the girsa of avak, but rather avar, avar, which is lead, which would make a lot of sense, because that is a writing instrument today that we use lead today to write with. It would make a lot of sense that they had used lead to write with. So Rashi's girsa is not avak, but rather Avar, or Bishachor, he used black, Rashi says is a pecham, that is a coal, which was also today, artists use it as a way to draw. Ubishichor, which Rashi calls Adarmint, I don't know how close that is to the Orpament before, because Tosafot thinks that they are the same thing. He thinks Rashi's explanation is incorrect, because then he should just use the word that was used in the Mishnah, and the fact that he doesn't seems to indicate that it's something different. Although the words that we have in Rashi are, are different. We had before an Orpament, and over here he calls it, it a ardiment. Whatever this last shikhur is and whatever blackening item it is, kasher. All of those are types of inks that you can use or methodologies for writing on paper or whatever substance it is that would be considered writing and that make a roshim, that have a long-term implication on whatever you're writing on. Therefore you would be chayat. Misereit al-bsaro, someone who cuts into his skin. Tanya. Amrlein Rabbi Leezer chachamim. Hello, Ben Stada. This individual... Who seems to be, as Tosafot, or Benetan points out, was a contemporary of Rabbi Akiva and Papas ben Yehuda. He wanted to leave Mitzrayim with the sorcery that they had there. They had a way to ensure that nobody wrote down the sorcery and went out. Mitzrayim seems, it's interesting, on many fronts, was technologically advanced. And therefore, they did not allow the technology to leave that area. They had that both with breeding. They used to take out the wombs of the animals before they left there so that you could not breed the animals that came from Mitzrayim. Here we have another story where they weren't allowed the sorcery to leave Mitzrayim. Other places we have possibly stories by Agavot that they didn't let certain technology to leave Mitzrayim. So they had strong or strict export laws with regards to their technology. But we had the Kshafim, he wanted to take it out. But they used to check, or the Khartoumian, they used to know they would have stopped people from writing it down and leaving Mitzrayim with it. So this Chacham, saying Chacham loosely, decided he wanted to get out of there. So what did he do? He carved it basically onto his skin, onto his arm. He wrote it down on himself and then went out with it so they couldn't catch him going out with the sorcery. So there we have a proof, according to Rabbi Eliezer, that it should be that Srita al-Basar is considered writing because this person, you see, he wrote on his skin in order to move the information out of there. So they said, Amro Shotehaya. This guy's a fool. can't bring a proof from fools just because... Some crazy guy does this, then you can't bring a proof to that that that's a normal way to write. This person was outlandish, extraordinary. We're not going to use that as a standard for what's considered writing. Therefore, they disagree with Rabbi Lezer and say that this is not classified as writing on Shabbat. At this point, our Gemara continues with the remainder of the sugya. But actually, there was a section of this Gemara was actually censored out, and that belongs over here. It's a Gemara that's found here, as well as in Sanhedrin Daf Samech Zayin Amud Aleph. It's an identical Gemara. There's a slight difference 
differences in the Kirsaot, but they're almost identical. And it says Ben Stado. His name was Ben Stado, Ben Paderuhu. He's really not the son of Stado, but rather he's the son of Hadera. How could you call him Ben Stado? Amravista Baal Stada Boel Pandera. This individual, Ben Stada, was the product of a extramarital affair. His mother's real husband was Stado. She had the illicit relationship with Pandera. He was the Boel. So truthfully, he really is Ben Pandera. But nevertheless, they assign him as the son of Stado who was the real husband of this individual. Mar says, wait a minute, if you're suggesting that the father over here was Pandera, and the husband of the wife who had this extramarital affair was Tado, we know that the Bao, that the husband really was Papas ben Yehuda. The husband was Papas ben Yehuda, his wife had an extramarital affair, and this child was born from that extramarital affair. This is a Gemara that's found on Tindaf Tzadi that tells a story of Papis ben Yehuda. He was very strict with his wife. He wouldn't let his wife interact with anyone. He basically, when he left the house, locked her in the house. And he ended up losing out from that because she rebelled against him and had an extramarital affair because of the way that he had treated her. Rashi over there says, Who was the wife of Papis ben Yehuda? Bala. Shemiriam Magdala Nishaya. The wife of Papas ben Yehuda was Miriam or Mary Magdalene. That's one possibility of how to read it. Or Miriam Magdala Nishaya, which, if you look in the Gemara Chagiga, seems to be that she was Miriam or Mary, the one who plaited or braided the women's hair. So she wouldn't interact with anybody. He acted inappropriately. Because that generated hatred, distrust. And she ended up having an extramarital affair. So the child here was born to the wife of Papas ben Yehuda, which Rashi says is Miriam Magdala, and the individual who she had an extramarital affair is Pandera. Ella Imo Stado. His mother's name was Stado. Mar says, Imo was not Stado. His mother was Miriam. Megadla Se'ar Nashaya Havai. His mother was Miriam, the one, again, whether this is Mary Magdalene, or was this Miriam, the one who braided or plaited the women's hair. So why is he called Ben Stado? Stado is a nickname that was given to this Miriam because she had an extramarital affair. And Stada means Stada Mibala. This woman left her husband, veered off from her husband, meaning that she had an extramarital affair. And that's who this Ben Stada was. Now, the censors took this out, obviously because of the reference of what they thought to be to Mary Magdalene. There are a number of issues with that and the problems that arise from this. Number one is, in the New Testament, Mary Magdalene is one of the disciples of Jesus. She is not the mother of Jesus. And therefore, the Mary that's been referred to here is not the Mary that supposedly was the mother of Jesus, but rather one of his disciples. That's number one. Number two is, as Tosafot points out over here, the Rebbeinu Tam says that this Ben Stado was a contemporary of Papas Ben Yehuda, as we see over here, and Rabbi Akiva. There's a Gemara at the end of Brachot that says that Rabbi Akiva and Papas Ben Yehuda were found in jail together. Rabbi Akiva lives towards the tail end of the Churban Abayit and is killed in the Hadrianic persecutions in 130s after the Bar Kokhba revolt. So Rabbi Akiva lives towards the latter half of the first century and into the second century, which is a good 70 or 100 years after Jesus. And if that's the case, the Mary or the Miriam that mentioned here has nothing to do with either the mother or the disciple of Jesus that was named Mary.
In addition, what's interesting here is that in the New Testament, Mary Magdalene, there's really no description of her character in general. It was only much later on that in a sermon by Pope Gregory the Great in the 6th century, he cast her as being a prostitute, which would be actually interesting because that would match with what is being said here in the Gemara. But again, the time periods are very difficult. Tosafot himself in the Gemara Nechagiga, when it mentions Miriam Magdalene says that it doesn't make so much sense. Because over there, it's a story about Rav Bibi, Barabaye, who is a latter Amora. And it seems that she was the wife of Papas Ben Yehuda, who was a Tano. So there, Tosafot says that either there were two people named Miriam Magdala, or that the story is simply a story being retold to Rav Bibi, but it did not actually happened at that time. Tosfut himself in Chagiga cross-references to the Gemara here in Shabbat, Kuvdalet, indicating that there was this piece of the Gemara there, but nevertheless notes the issue in terms of the time in which she lived relative to the two Gemaras, and as we noted, it's even problematic relative to the time period where supposedly Jesus lived. Nevertheless, we know that the censors took it out. So the censors obviously found it offensive or found something problematic with it, and the result, the timing that the Gemara sets up over here might have to do either with the apostles who lived much later than Jesus. Some of them never saw Jesus themselves, and they might have associated the time period of Mary Magdalene in that same period. Or, it could be referencing some other cult-like or religion that developed at that time, nothing to do with Christianity. But nevertheless, the censors did take it out, and this Gemara is missing from our Gemara. There are some of the new versions of the Gemaras that tried to reinsert the censored pieces of the Gemara, including the Rashi and the Tosafot that were associated with these censored pieces. If he adds a single letter next to items that are already written. Mantano. Who's the author of our Mishnah? Amar Rovo Bar Rav Huna, Delok Rabbi Eliezer. Eliezer cannot be the author of the Mishnah. Di Rabbi Eliezer. Rabbi Eliezer says, Amar Achat Alarik Chayav. That if one adds on a single string onto a weave, he is chayav. There's going to be a difference. The measurements are going to be lezer. The fact that we say when you weave, you have to have shnei bat nirim, you have to have two rows in order to be chayav. That's only true when you start from scratch. When you start from scratch, you put out the strings, then you have to build something that will have lasting power. So then if you simply put one string through, that won't hold it together, and that's not considered a weave that will last. And then, if you already have an existing weave, and now you're just extending the weave, then it's sufficient to have one String through in order, one addition to it in order to be chayav. So if you add on a simple string onto the arig, that's enough to be chayav according to Rabbi Lezer. So in our instance as well, if Rabbi Lezer was the author of our Mishnah, we would have assumed that adding on another letter would be an equivalent to adding on an additional string to the weave. Now it's true that you could try to differentiate between them, which is arig, which is an action is significant in and of itself, but maybe that's why the adding to the weave is considered significant, but writing a single letter, when you're adding it on to an existing sentence, may not be as significant in action. You could differentiate between them. The Gemara does not do that here. It says that Rabbi Lezer is not the author of our Mishnah for that reason. Tav al-Gabek Tav. He traces over existing writing. Mantano. Who's the author of our Mishnah again? Amr Christa, the local Rabbi Doesn't have to be like Rabbi Yudah. Tanya. Reisha Yatzarich Liktovet Hashem. He was supposed to write the Shem Hashem, which is Yud K Vav K. Instead, he intended to write the word Yudah, Vita'a, and he makes a mistake, Velo Tilbo Dalit. 
and he forgot to put the Dalit in Yehuda. He thinks he's writing Yehuda, and he makes a mistake. He writes Yehuda incorrectly, leaving out the Dalit. So then he ends up with the Shem Hashem that he really was supposed to write there. He was doing the wrong thing. I mean, that he was supposed to be writing Shem Hashem. He thought he was supposed to be writing Yehuda. But when he wrote Yehuda, he made a mistake and ended up with the Shem Hashem. The problem is, that when you write the Shem Hashem, you have to have Kavanah. You have to have intent for the Shem Hashem. So what do you do over here? Mavir alav kumus says, you just go over the word again with your quill. And then the second time that you go over it, you have in mind or intent for the Shem Hashem. This is not the best way to write the Shem Hashem. The other options are here possibly to erase it if it doesn't have Dusha because he wasn't have intent for it to be the Shem Hashem. But they don't opt or they do not like this view of writing or this way of tracing it over it. That's what we just said here. That Rav Chista suggests that it's the Lok Rabiuda That this... Mishnah is not like Rabbi Yehuda. Now, Tosafot over here discusses a quote from a different Gemara in Gitin with regards to this. And then he basically comes to a conclusion, which I'll read to you here, which is Eish If you write something that is Lolishma first, a get has to be written with intent for get a bill of divorce. It can't be simply for practice. It has to be something that was intended to be a bill of divorce. And then the names that are put in there has to be for specifically those individuals when you put the names in. If it was lacking in Lishma, then you can go trace over the get and give it the Lishma side of it. And that's what it says here. That's the Kuliyama. Shacharon mitakein yoter minerishon. Because the second writing does something that the first writing couldn't do. Shoseo Lishma. That it makes it Lishma. Ava. Shein aktavalyon mitakein plum. That if the upper writing now doesn't do anything to enhance that which is there beforehand, the Kuliyama, lo and then, according to everyone, that's not considered to be writing. That's our Mishnah. Our Mishnah here is a case where he writes over something, he simply traces over it without enhancing or improving that which was there beforehand. Now, enhancement and improvement doesn't have to be in the physical writing, it could be simply intent. That you have specifically Shema, which would change the dynamic of what's written there. And that is what our Mishnah is speaking about, and it goes according to Kuliyama. Obviously, Rav Chist over here says that our mission is not like Rabbi Yehuda, is Lishitato. That he believes that when you write over and you make a Lishma, that that is a machlok between Rabbi Yehuda and the Chachamim. But we who don't necessarily subscribe to Rav Chista, but rather to Rav Achab Rabbi Yaakov, we would believe over here that even Rabbi Yehuda could be the author of our Mishnah because our case in the Mishnah is a case where you did nothing by writing over the letters. You simply had the word Yehuda and you wrote over Yehuda again. You've done nothing to change what was there beforehand. Mishma doesn't matter there. There's no enhancement of what you've written and therefore even Rabbi Yehuda would agree that that's not considered to be Ktav over here. Tana, katavochat ve'ishlima lesefer. We read a single letter but that single letter is the completion of the book. And Rashi over here says the Shlom Sefer is one of the 24 Sfarim of Tanakh. So Rashi says it's specifically about one of the 24 Sfarim of Tanakh. So the question maybe that could apply even to beyond that. Rashi specifically says it about Sifrei Tanakh. But maybe it should be true of a book in general that if you write the last letter because... The last letter is so significant in the completion of the book. Could be over there that your chayav for makiv patish. Could be your chayav for completing the action, not simply writing. Arag begit. If you stitch the last or weave the last string and that finishes off the clothing, chayav. Mantano. Who's the author of this? Amrava bar Rav Huna, Rabbi Lezahi. That's Rabbi Lezah. Damar chayav, which we saw before. Rabbi Lezah says, 
If you add one weave to a normal weave, that's called a tzirah chayav. Even the rabbanan might agree over here because lashlim is shiny. It's different when you complete something. Difference between adding to something and completing something. Adding to something is not as significant as being the final thing that completes the object, which might, as I mentioned before, a problem of maket vipatish. Amar rabbiami. This is a very important halacha that has many implications in today in halacha, which is tavav otachat bitveria. Writes one letter when he's in tveria. Vachat bitsipori. Then he travels to tsipori and writes a letter over there. Chayav. That is going to be considered to writing two letters. Tivahi. That is writing. Ela shemechusar kreva. The only problem is that they're just not together. He wrote the Aleph in Tiveria. He wrote the Bet in Tsipori. All you have to do is take the Aleph from Tiveria and put it next to the Bet from Tsipori and now you have a word. So you wrote two letters. Obviously it's Behel Mechat and one forgetting. Over there you consider to have written two letters and you would be Chayav. Vatnan. What about our Mishnah? Our Mishnah said, Katav al-Shnei you write it on two different walls of the house. You write it on two different margins or pages of the ledger. They cannot be read together. Patur. Over there you are patur. So the Gemara here differentiates between our Mishnah and the case that was just brought by Rabbi Ami. Over there, they are lacking an additional action to bring them together. And they're on the wall. You can never bring the two letters together. The one that's on this wall and one's on the other wall. There's no way to bring them together unless you break the wall down. Or you either take them out of the wall or you take the wall in between them out. Same with the ledger. If it's written on the right margin and the left margin of the ledger, the only way to bring them together is to slice the paper, cut the paper, and put them together. Or rip the page out and bring the two pages together. In our case of there's no action required to put them together. Simply, if they are together, they will be read together. You don't have to do any cutting or moving. You simply have the letter here and the letter there, and you can put them together without doing any other activity to bring them together, besides, obviously, bringing them together. So that's the difference between these two cases. If he corrects one letter, then you are chayav. Here where you form a single letter, you're patur. You have to tell me in a case where you fix one letter, you're going to be chayav? I mean, it doesn't make sense. When you create a letter from scratch, you're not chayav. Now you're going to fix one little letter and you're going to be chayav? Pulled off the crown of the chet. And he made it into two letters. By doing a fixing over here, the one action actually created two letters. That is the equivalent of writing two letters. Rav Amar, No, he took off the edge of the Dalit, and then he made it into a Resh. Ah, so they're right. How does that help you? Before you had one letter, and now you have one letter. You just changed the letter that's there. So Rashi comments over here. Rav Amar, this made the Sefer Kasher. That you're not allowed to leave things in your house that are not corrected or perfect. You can't leave around Farim that are not Muga, corrected, or Pashreirim. It's the equivalent of writing one letter and completing the book with it. Because the action here is so significant, by taking this action of changing from Dalit to Arash, you've now made the Sefer into a Sefer Kasher. So because of that, you will be Chayav 
Not because you wrote one letter, but because you basically equivalent like Makeba Batish before which you finished off the Sefer. Problem with that is it's not so simple here that you can actually form a Kasharesh from a Dalit that you were lacking in Tzuat Oat. You're not allowed to create Tzuat Oat, which we call through Chaktochut, by erase. You have to write the Tzuat Oat, the Oat, that are found in the Sfarim HaKadoshim, but you can't erase to form them. So what we're speaking about according to Rashi might not be a Kosher Sefer, but rather a correct Sefer, which is that before you had the wrong letter in there, if someone was going to copy from this to write a Sefer to, or look into it, they'd have the wrong letter there. And by correcting the letter now, the Sefer is readable in the proper sense, not necessarily kasher like a Sefer, because this is not the proper way to form a Reish, if you did form a Reish like this from a Dalit, it would not be kosher in a Sefer Torah. And the same thing with the Chet and the two Zions. When you do there, the area you're actually creating two letters, but in a Sefer Torah, if you needed two Zions and you wrote a Chet and erased it in the middle, that would not qualify to be a letter because that's created through what was erased. You removed something in order to create the letter. You can't do that. You have to form the letters instead of erasing to create the form of the letters. Because it's under the category of writing. Makeba Patish, that's a good question generally about Makeba Patish. Does Makeba Patish have a broad sense which touches each one of the Malachot? And therefore, an action within a specific Malacha will be Tiva, but it's a significant Tiva, so therefore it's Makeba Patish. So they write it under Tiva. You could argue that what we call Akshavet. It's not Makeba Patish, but it's really two Otiyot is what makes writing significant. Because you make something that has meaning. We said before, you have to write a word, you have to have something that's meaning in it. So the other way to understand this is that the finishing of a safer with a single letter, or here, fixing a single letter, is actuates a significant form of writing. And so therefore, it's not Makeva Patish, but it's considered writing, because you've done something significant within the world of writing, before you needed two letters to form a word. Here, you could do something significant without forming a word, without using two letters. So that's the other possibility. Uh, so the way Rashi terms it is that it sounds like anything that you do to fix it is a significant step in the right direction. It might be that any tikkun, even though you have to do multiple tikkunim, that each single tikkun is significant in and of itself. But from the way Rashi writes, it seems like there's a demand on you. Make sure that you don't leave around things that are improper. But here too, it would be considered significant in each correction. I mean, you could argue against that. All right, now the Gemara says, Tana, nitzkaven lechtov otachat. He intended to write one letter. Velo biyadosh time. And instead, he ended up with two letters. Chayav. Then he is culpable. Fatnan patur. Don't we have in our Mishnah where it says it's patur? That's the case where he intended to write the chet and ended up with two zayins. Our Mishnah said patur. Lokasha. Had to buy ziyune. Had to buy ziyune. Depends if the zayins are finished. Zayins are... One of the letters that we have in Shatnei's gates. Shatnei's gates are letters that require crowns on top of them, and require the tagim put on top of them. And so, if you wrote a chet, you were intending to write a chet, and by accident you ended up with two zayins, the zayins are not complete yet, because the zayins still, still require the tagim, still require these crowns on top of them. So if you wrote the chet, and you didn't have the tagim on top of it, then the zayin's not finished. So if you wrote it with the tagim on it, you intended to write the chet, and it has these yunim on it, and then, you didn't write the Chet, you ended up with Zions, and you have pleaded Zions, and you'd be Chayav. And then, if you wrote the Chet, ended up with two Zions without the Tagim on top of them, the Zions aren't finished. You haven't finished the writing, and therefore, it's not considered to be two Zions. The interesting thing here, which Tosfot raises on the Mishnah already, is he doesn't understand. He says that we had before in the Gemara, we know that you need Malachet Machshevet on Shabbat. And so, we know that if you intended to throw two Amot, and then you end up throwing four Amot, you're not Chayav, because your intention wasn't carried out. We saw that before, that when you have certain intentions that are not carried out, even though the malacha is completed, you're not chayav. He says, I don't understand over here. Why should it be that if I intended to write a chet, and ended up with two zayins, that I'm chayav? Just because I ended up with two otiyot doesn't mean I should be chayav. I have to have intent for two otiyot, and then end up with two otiyot. Here, the Gemara takes it for granted. If I intended to write a chet, and I end up with zayins, 
And if they were zigune, say they had the tagimah, I would be chayav. Why is this different than any other case? So Tosafot and the Mishnah discusses, and he says, that he had to, in the beginning, write two letters. Whatever they were. He just had to write two letters. He intended to write two letters. He was going to write a chet and something else. But he just needs two letters. Whatever the two letters are, he needs two letters on there. So he intends to write chet and then another letter after that. Just turns out that his chet skipped the roof. And now he ends up with the two letters. Tosafo tries to create a case here where his original intent involved writing two letters. Otherwise, he doesn't understand how or why it should be this case. In addition to that, he says, why did the Gemara go through this scenario of writing a chet and then ending up with two zayans? He says, if you wrote two zayans, you wouldn't be chayav because it wouldn't be zayans until you put the tagingam atah. So you could literally write two zayans and still be put to where because you weren't kotev shteotiot. You're missing the tagim on top of the zayans. He says, why did the Gemara give the example of chet turning into a zayan? He says, Tosa wants to say over here, the other chiddush is that it's only you're protected over here because of the zayan. But had you had two vavs that don't require the crowns on top of them and you wrote two vavs, made a chet and turned into two Vavs, you would be chayav in that case, because you're not lacking in the crowns on top. But that'll still bring you back to the first question of Tosafot is, what was your intent up front? Tosafot seems to indicate that you have to have some intent for two letters, otherwise, how do we move from intent for one letter to intent for two letters? In Shabbat, you need Melechad Machshevet. So you have to have something up front that brings you to violate that Yisur. Okay, we'll stop over here.